Hey everybody, it's Josh here from American Citizens. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA teams merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Or any team for that matter. Check out fanessentials.net. All you have to do is pick your favorite sports team and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. Find the sports gears. They find the sports gear so that you don't have to and each box comes packed with full of some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan and prices start at just $34.99. You can visit fanessentials.net and use the promo code CITIZENS16 at the checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need. And don't forget, use our promo code to save 30%. CITIZENS16 with a Y. Thanks, and now back to your regular scheduled programming. You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Sterling. Tight, but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there! And it is dead level now. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And now here's your hosts, Josh Webb and Gray Papke. Hello and welcome to the American Citizens Podcast. My name is Gray, I'm with Josh, and our guest this week, we'll jump right into it, uh, Mike Devlin, the author of Manchester City, the, um, let me get the title right here. The Secret, the, the secret History of the Club That Has No History. Yes. And the uh, author of the upcoming 9320 book, which we're going to be talking about today. So, Mike, welcome to our little corner of the internet here. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Um, let's see how this goes. Oh, I'm um, sure it'll go, go swimmingly, Mike. I'll, I'll start out. The first thing that I want to ask you is, I mean, obviously 9320 is a seminal moment in Manchester history, but you know, Manchester proper, anyhow. Um, yeah. But, but that being said, you're really the first person to write a book about this. What was the inspiration for this, or was it as something as simple as you had a second contract or, w- with your publisher? I mean, what what really inspired you to get on ninety three twenty? Um, basically watching videos on YouTube. Because you, you can go on and you can watch the uh, City versus QPR match, you know, and there's so many different aspects from it. And one day after watching, oh, I must have watched so many. I suddenly noticed the people in the crowd, the audience, the in the 
the stadium for the first time, which is a ridiculous thing to say because they were all jumping up and down like lunatics. But for the first time ever, I just noticed them. And I thought each and every person in that stadium and probably worldwide has a story to tell about that day. So I started asking people and the stories just flooded in from all four corners of the planet. Um, I got... I got people in Denver, New York, New Jersey, Brazil, um, South Africa. I've got a guy who was on security detail in Iraq. I got people up in the middle of the night in Australia, obviously people in at the Etihad, and um, even people up at Sunderland with United fans as well. And it's it's just grown from that. That that was the only reason it, I just fell into it. But you're right. I'm surprised that no one's done it. One video in particular, and and after this, Gray, I'll let you jump in with with some some questions of your own. But uh, there's one video in particular that that I could watch over and over and over again on ninety three twenty, and it's about a five minute clip. And I think you'll know which one I'm talking about once I, I, I mention it. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I think got I it's got the one. dramatic music and and it keeps cutting back between Martin Tyler in 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 the actual studio watching the game, uh, yeah. and and various other incidents going on on the field. And it's got the dramatic music. And after Aguero hits the goal, you see the fan shoot up to the to the countdown, and you see, you know, the 40-plus years has dripped down, 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 down until yeah, zero. Yeah. And there was one fan in there that that stood out to me, and it's, it's the lad who's got the Manchester shirt on, and he's pissed. I mean, this guy is pissed after a giveaway like he's like slamming his shirt up against the back of a chair you know who you know who i'm talking about did yeah i, that, I, I exactly. did that guy get in touch with you because if he didn't that, i want him to hear this podcast and to contact you about like that particular video because that yeah. guy is my favorite part of it well i'm afraid to disappoint you i don't have his story as of yet um, I do have a couple of people from that video, I might add. Uh, the old guy who said I used to be six foot. Yeah, two. and yeah. Had, a, had a full head of hair. <laughs> I have his story. Please, share it. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear a um, it Well, it, it was a story by way of another interview, that, and I was put in touch with him uh, by the other guy. Um, but yeah, he just went on about his first days at watching City in the 1930s and you know stuff like this. And he used to be a school teacher. And uh, I, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but uh, he used to stand up. Because in, in, in English schools, you, they do have um, prayer in the middle of the, you know, beginning of each school day. Or they tend to. I, I don't know whether all of them these days. But uh, he used, always used to stand up and uh, lead the entire school to prayer and then say, we we need to bow our heads and, and say a prayer for Manchester United. You know, because they'd lost that weekend, for example. Um, and he was a, a huge, and still is a huge City fan. Um, and he, a wonderful guy, absolutely wonderful. Really down to earth. Uh, we thought we had it bad. 
watching the, how bad it was in the 80s and 90s, he had it even worse, you know. Um, and he stuck by him through thick and thin, uh, or thin and thinner. So I have his story, and uh, there's, an, there's a, a, a young lady who, um, wearing a pair of glasses, and has to be consoled and comforted by her father. And she's wafting her hand because she can't stop crying. I have her story and her father's as well. He was, you know, in that video. So it, it's it's getting there. It's a slow process, but I'm getting there. Rewarding, no doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've even written at the beginning of the book, you know, I've had to sit through that day hundreds and hundreds of times because I've had to relive it because everybody's telling me what they were doing, you know. Funnily enough, my story's not in there. <laughs> Gray, what you got? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect you to have an actual number, but but what would estimate how many stories do you have so far? And I know it's still a work in progress, but just as an estimate, maybe 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 two hundred individual stories. Wow. Um, um, I even have um, Neda Manoya. Really? Yeah. yeah, I spoke to him on the phone, and he told me all about that day as well. So he's in the book as well. Um, and his, you know, what went on in the changing rooms with Mark Hughes and this, that, and the other, you know. So, and of course, Joey Barton getting sent off. And, so that was interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that would be interesting. Now, you said that you've had, you know, all around the world, people, not even necessarily city supporters. No, no, no. Um, Liverpool, West yeah. Ham, Sunderland, mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. So just, and again, I don't, I don't want to like make you spoil the book or anything, but are there any couple that really stand out to you as being particularly memorable that we should look forward to hearing? Um, it's more of this, just a, such a cornucopia of different stories. Some are really, really dull, um, and uh, some are just mundane. But others br- almost bring you down to tears. You know, there's a guy whose father died en route to uh, a football match a week beforehand. Um, it was just before the Newcastle game. He dropped down dead, um, and they've always wondered if it was City that you know finally did it in for him. Um, and then there's a there's stupid stories. There's a guy who ends up pissing all over his mother, literally. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Go on. This one needs more elaboration. <laughs> like, well, I, he, he, I don't want to ruin he, the book, but you can't well, say he, something he, like that. He, and then he'd given up, you see, and he'd he'd gone to the bathroom, and when he heard Aguero score. He didn't bother zipping himself back up or finish and just ran into the, the living room where his folks were watching the game and ended up peeing all over his mother and father. That might be the best story I've ever heard. See, this is, the, this is the content that we came for. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is the stuff that should have made it on that five-minute video. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't get all this, but there's, there's another guy who ends up being humped by a dog. Literally. You know, and it, it's just these ridiculous stories from all over the world that happened while we were all, we were all losing our freaking minds. Now, I, 
I'm curious because, you know, you mentioned all these other club uh, supporters that chimed in with, you know, their version of events. Now, uh, one thing that, that, that can be said about the footballing community is that there's going to be, as you guys say, nonces. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter which sport it is, which country you're in, you can find the lowest common denominator of all fans. But the one thing that I've noticed that I really uh, have gravitated toward in, in, in we, you know, we call American football, but I mean, football <laughs> as yeah, it's going around the globe, the community is one that really gravitates towards each other. And, and at a moment like this, you know, it's not so much that people <laughs> can be city fans. I feel like it's a lot like the Lester story minus the 5,000 to one underdogs. What city accomplished that day was great for football. Was that the sense that you got from people who are not United fans. Pretty much, yeah. And I but to be fair, a couple of United fans have you know, they they begrudgingly said, Well done, you know, in their stories that they were sending me. Um but uh but I've I'm even particular I'm, well it depends who they were supporting because I've got uh, Liverpool fans and he was on the phone to his dad who had left the bar um, only to discover from his son that City had won. So he ran all the way back to the bar so he could take the piss out of the United fans. That was the only reason. That's a... You know, so it, it depends, you know, it depends who you support, you know. Um, but I, there was a West Ham United fan, I think he said he was in tears. In, you know, for, you know, happiness. Um, and I've got a QPR fan, several QPR fans, one of whom gave his spare ticket to, I think, an eight-year-old City fan who wanted to see the match. And he watched the game at the, in the QPR end. And he was crying until he started crying for real, you know, because they won. Um, but yeah, it's it, a fascinating it's a story. Like, well, the, the, the QPR fan gives his ticket to this little kid. I wonder, was there, because see, an action like that changes not just, obviously, you, you know, the day for this kid, but that didn't change his life. Like, the random act of kindness of a stranger allowed him to see an event that he is then going to be telling his kids, his grandkids, so on and so forth. Like, it truly changed his life. I wonder, did did that QPR fan have a sense of what he'd done for that? Like, was he sort of humbled by, by the process, if that question makes sense? I, 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 if you read between the lines, I guess so. I mean, he was originally coming up with a friend of his. He had a broken foot, so he was on crutches, but he was coming up with a friend. And their car broke down in Birmingham, which is like dead center England, because uh, they're coming up from London. And the guy on the crutches decided, I'm just going to go. His literal words were exactly, fuck it, I'm never going to see Queen's Park Rangers in the Premier League again. I need to go. So he went. Um, He got there at half time. 
and bumped into uh, a father and son and said to this uh, to this guy, you know, if, if your lad wants the ticket, you can have it, um, but he'll have to watch it with us. And uh, the guy offered him money, and he says, no, you can't buy this kind of thing. You can take it for free. You can pick him up after the game, you know. Um, so I guess he did understand because um, you have to remember there's a whole context of possibly QPR being relegated. As it turned out, it was Bolton. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, like I said, it's just the f- this full smorgasbord of weird stories and funny ones and guys breaking down in tears and wandering the streets of Manchester while the game's still being played, you know, and they don't want to talk to anybody. You know, um, it's almost like the American in gray. You can probably speak to this about sort of <clears throat> that, like when a no hitter is taking place. If you if you want to explain that concept to him, yeah, it's <clears throat> see all my American teams either won championships when I was too young to grasp it, or haven't won championships. So it was sort of it's there's it's just. Well, see, when you have a really rare occurrence, the the the, the tension and the uh, expectation and the fear that it's all going to fall apart in one moment is so palpable, and I mm. think that's exactly what it was. And it was basically that concept, the whole, this could, especially in the second half, although toward the end, it, when people started to, the hope started to, fade a bit i think but (laughs) that's one important yeah yeah Yeah, let's just be honest the hope had died the hope was dead sugar-coated i suppose (laughs) it was dead like ed and jecko rescued he revived resuscitated the hope and then aguero sort of you know sent everybody into euphoria but until ed and jecko it was dead the most optimistic person in that stadium when when Balotelli missed that header around 90 minutes, I think that was just sort of, okay, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, that's true, because the number of people who have told me that once he'd missed, it was like, okay, this is City, this is what we do. We have to expect, you know, accept it. You know, and those with kids are going to have to turn around and explain to their t- crying children that I'm sorry that I've turned you into City fans, but you're going to have to learn a lesson kind of thing. But then when Jekko scored, most people actually said, now the club is taking the piss. You're just rubbing salt into the wounds because we're now so much closer, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to get there. And this is so typical of the club to just snatch victory from the jaws of defeat or whatever, the other way around, you know. And... um. <laughs> They said, I can't watch it now. They they, they are literally taking a piss now. Because we're not going to score again. I think... Too little, too, too little, too late. I told this story to Asan, so I, I, I apologize, Gray, that you have to hear it again. Though I'm sure over the course of doing this podcast with each other, this is, you know, it's only the second time. But it'll get up into the hundreds, I, I, I anticipate. What 
drew me to City, because Gray and I make no bones about the fact that, that we are post-takeover, but a lot of that has to do with the proliferation of the the Premier League here in America. Bef- beforehand, there were a lot of accessibility issues, and I think it's only been in the past decade or so that you've really seen TV expand to where now sports truly are a, a, a global concept. And it, the, the Premier League in America didn't even move to a TV channel that most people got until 2013. Yeah. So it's a very new phenomenon. <laughs> well, yeah, who the hell watches Fox for yeah. Exactly. Nobody. Nobody. And and they're the ones that have the Bundesliga right now. Like the overnight what was the overnight rating for that Cowherd and fucking um Whitlock? It was terrible. Show? It was terrible. Like it was like a point oh six. Like no 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 bullshit. It was like a point oh six. Like I don't know how you get it's like their mom were the only ones watching. But but what getting back on track, what what drew me to City as a fan was I, when I when I set out, I, I, I'm Dutch and I grew up with with international football. Um, so, the, you know, there there's nothing more that I understand in a footballing sense than I, I guess it's not really a, a club, but more of a, a country club. Um that, that almost gets there and then doesn't quite. I mean, the Netherlands truly are the best team in the world to have won nothing. And and yeah, and, yeah I can kind of yeah, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, we we I think I we were actually sitting down when I because I cover American football and there's a a bowl game which is sort of like a, a postseason event, if you will. Um. And we were all sitting around, uh, me and a group, a bunch of other journalists, and we were trying to come up with an American equivalent of the Netherlands to, like, just get there, but not quite. And and, and the best we came up with, Gray, was, like, Wisconsin or something. Um, but, but my story about how I became a City fan was that I... I knew I wanted a club that had that to it. I am a Red Sox fan, and if you know nothing about the Red Sox, I can't recommend watching the movie on Netflix four days in October enough. I think, as a City fan, halfway through, you'll really understand, you know, the plight of being a Red Sox fan. But I that I wanted a club that could compete. Go ahead. What's up? No, no, I was just going to say, I, I kind of know what you mean. Um, uh, it, it's uh, unless I'm getting my teams mixed up because uh, I'm not a baseball fan in any way, shape or form. Um, it's a perfectly good four pack spoiled by a game as far as I'm concerned, baseball, but um, uh, or six pack. But yeah. uh, I, I seem to recall that um, you, you it's like um <sighs> punishment almost to be a red sox fan yes yes 86 years 86 yeah. freaking years for a title and and there was also this i mean it's it's silly that we even talk about it as if it's real but there was this 
whole deal, and, and you can Google it, The Curse of the Bambino, and it took the year that Ted Williams died for, like, the Red Sox to... <laughs> to finally win this thing. So I knew that there was a sense of that. That's what I was looking for. With would, a... let, let me put this in terms since I am an actual, you know, I follow baseball for a living. Basically it would be the equivalent of um, man city and man United meeting in a champions league semifinal and man United taking the first leg at the Etihad by a score of about seven nil and coming, <laughs> coming back to win in the second leg. Yeah, right. More or less, it would. It would. It was really not something that that anybody ever thought was going to happen, and yet it did. But not that I will actually stop you there, though. Not that these days United are ever going to beat City seven now. Correct. <laughs> That's true. That's true. United probably aren't even going to score seven goals in a season. Um, that, no, it's just my one law, but United. <laughs> I don't actually believe that. Under Van Howe, I probably would have believed that. But but what I wanted most importantly out of a club was I wanted a club that, that was going to compete at, at every front. And, and City could do that. But I wanted a club that was going to allow me to experience things with fans that they not experienced before, if that makes sense. When when City win the Champions League for the first time, it's going to be a unique and new experience for all of us. And and I think mm. that to me was was important to have. It's like I want to grow old with City fans, but it's a lot harder to do that with United and Liverpool fans when they're like, ah, yes, I remember the first of our seven European trophies, kiss my ass. I I, I wanted something that was a bit more <clears throat> family-oriented and that, I don't know, when it happened, it was going to mean something. Does, does that make sense? It, it does to a certain degree, um, but there again... Uh, and this is, I'm not casting any aspersions uh, on either of you, but um, uh, it'll, it will mean something different to those of us who have been there a hell of a long time. Um, I mean, I, I made mention earlier about the, the, the sheer hell and awfulness of the 80s and 90s. Um, and City fans just stuck with the club because that's who we are, you know, and we've got this gallows style sense of humor, which is um, still thankfully present to this day, um, which is why you should read my first book, because then that will explain everything. Oh, no, no. And I was actually going to get into a couple of questions about that first book here in a minute. I, 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 I have been working on it. And I think I was telling Gray, I said, I think the only thing that, and it's, I don't mean this in any true sense of, like, a knock. The only thing that that I say I didn't like, and I don't mean that at all the way it sounds, I mean, the only thing that I think I missed out on would be a better way to phrase that, is you could very much tell that there were jokes in there that unless you lived and grew up in Manchester, like you said, you'd been around this club your entire life, there were going to be some things that you didn't get. Those jokes obviously meant for, for lifers 
And that was it only the only part about it where I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I do. I do get what you mean. But it was a fine balance. I had to walk across because I couldn't write it for hardcore fans and I couldn't write it for uh, new fans. I had to kind of do a bit of both. And sometimes it was hit and miss. As I oh, it was excellent. It now, it and was I th- excellent. I think, yeah, I think that. Well, thank you, but I think that you know there are a couple of jokes that would fly over the heads of uh, some new fans, but the old school would get it immediately, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was a difficult thing to do. I mean, it was a lot of fun to to write it, um, and it it is only a book a city fan could. I could never write one about United like this because they wouldn't accept it. Um, right. They just think I'm literally taking a piss, whereas this is just, you know, having fun. Um, so, yeah, I do understand what you get. The most about it is that you were obviously relaying important information, but I thought it was done so in a way that if you were new, I felt welcomed in. And at the same time, I felt like I got, I don't want to say a crash course, but I got a, a good course in what it meant to be a city fan from the perspective of actual city fans. Not that Gray and I aren't one, but as you said, we're talking about people who, it's a family event, you know, you, you go to these games with your, with your, with your parents and, and, and then you in turn take your kids to these games. It's like baseball here in America. It's just something yeah, exactly. you do growing up and, and you have no choice in the matter. Right, right. Chosen for you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that the book just, was so yeah. accessible on that front. I, I felt really, really, I don't want to say like I was part of the group, but I felt like I was part of the group reading that book. And I guess that's the only thing that matters, right? Yeah. I mean, right at the end, I say, you know, maybe this has piqued your interest and you want to read something that's more serious. You know, so I throw things like Gary James and Ian Penny, you know, so that go find their books. And yeah, they're going to be heavy going, but you know, if you really want to learn more, then do so. But I understand not, not everybody has the time. Five percent of the way through Gary. Let, let me just say this. I think Gary James, Gary James reminds me of my buddy Michael, who you can just ask him a question about USC, and he's got the knowledge at, at, at beck and call. You know, he's... He's been there. He knows it all. He can tell you. Gary James is that. Gary James yeah. is the most knowledgeable human being I think there is in the world about Manchester City. But And I hope yeah. that Mr. James does not take any offense to this because I don't mean it. Gallows humor here. That is the longest damn book of my life. And I am convinced that on the day that I die... I will reach the 2008 season. I will finally have finished Mr. James's book. Right. Yeah. I've, I've read it. I've, I've read a couple of his, actually several. Um, but uh, it was, I actually ran the idea past him first. I said, what do you think about his idea? Um, and sent him some few bits and bobs. And he said, yeah, go for this. He says, if it gets 
City fans reading, then that's all that matters. So I carried on with it. Uh, let me kick yeah. into a line of questioning that I think Gray can get more involved in. I want to ask you, starting <coughs> with, not to take away from 9320 at all, but, but I think it also frames into perspective where this club is headed with this new era with Guardiola. 93-20 will, I think, if Guardiola manages to achieve expectations, and there's no guarantees that he will, ask Bayern fans, but if Guardiola does, <clears throat> I think that 93-20 will be looked upon as sort of a moment, a huge moment for the club that, I don't want to say a seminal moment, because I think there are other things that, that, that are probably, I don't want to say more important, but in terms of getting the club to where it needed to be, it, they're up there. What did the hire of Guardiola mean? Because Gray and I, we just look at it as, well, this is our club hiring the best available manager. That's not how you guys see it. That's not how lifelong City fans see this. There's a different context there that I want to try and tap into. What did that day mean for you? Um, I guess it just meant that um, for those of us who still can't actually believe where the position where we are today, um, I guess it just meant we have finally arrived. Um, I mean, it's no secret City were after him uh, for the last four years, um, constantly in contact with him, uh, and it just wasn't the right time or, or whatever. And uh, But then it just slowly but surely looked like he, he was going to turn up, and we're all looking at Pellegrini and thinking, yeah, the man knows. And of course, it, as it turned out, he did. Um, and... Uh, but it, it does, it's finally, everything's kind of come into place. It's almost like everything that's happened in the last eight years has built up to this day. You know, that's, that was their end game. We, we, we go for Pep, you know, and we get his team in and we have the, you know, $300 million uh, academy just across the road. Um, and, you know, it was all put in place so that we could get him, which seems a tad weird to say just to get one guy who may only stick around for three years. But from that point on, nothing about the club will ever be the same, ever. I think that just, just to piggyback on that thought, I think that, and this is something we've talked about, even with the recent success, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm off base on this, but even with the recent success, there's sort of been a there's still gate crashers. There's still, you know, they're not quite as much as they win. However much they win, it's still sort of well, this is all new, and it's still sort of they they're not taken as seriously as some of their rivals. And I think that, like you said, this was the end game. And I think that this is the moment that it becomes real for a lot of other people outside of the group of supporters, too, because I think it counts as a statement of intent. And I think that it is sort of an announcement that not that we didn't know it already, but this is us. We're here to stay and we're really serious about this now. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, you can also go back to the day of the takeover in August, yeah, absolutely, where we were taken out. Well, officially, we were taken over on I think September first, maybe second officially, but on August thirty first, uh, two thousand and eight, uh, the new owners were just throwing money at anyone, literally anyone. Uh, which is why we ended up with Rubinho for what was it, thirty-three million. I was literally just going to mention Rubinho. You know, and we almost got Berbatov, but you know, for but the Berbatov story is my favorite. They had to go yeah, pick him up at the airport. Yeah, it, it's just you know, and we were literally throwing money at anybody who would take it just to make a statement. You know, uh, which is obviously the wrong thing to do, but. Um, because everybody was far too excited anyway. It wouldn't really have mattered. But, um, yeah, uh, there are those who say Rubinho was going to end up at Chelsea and, and got confused and didn't actually realise that Manchester wasn't London and so on and so forth. But it still made a statement, you know, uh, and he was useful to a certain degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is where it's starting to get really, really serious now. Really serious. You know, we're not sort of throwing in couple of hundred million dollars to go get Messi or whatever. You know, we're actually building a proper team. Um, Asan had mentioned a point while, while you're on that line of question that, that I want to just kind of interject and ask you because I feel like you're headed that way. Um, he, and, and David Mooney had, had really stressed this point on our podcast that will never have been aired, that City are... Right now, you know, a lot of fans are, are sort of, as you say, uh, getting after the club saying, you know, the transfer business needs to be done quicker. This is not what Guardiola was brought in to do, to sit around on his ass and wait for you guys to get these things done. But the point that David made, and I and I thought it was profound enough that it made me certainly rethink the way that I was looking at it, especially from a typical American standpoint of, of buying as much as you can to, to create a, uh, a winning team. It's certainly the, the Yankees philosophy. Um, but city are getting out of that sort of, mind frame of let's just go spend whatever we need to to get whatever player we want. They look at the things like Rubinho, they take a look at things like, you know, the failed Berbatov incident, so on and so forth. I think you could mention Mangala of where they spent the money just to get the player, just to make it happen, but it didn't work out. And now City are saying, you know what? We do want the player, but we're going to set a price for him. And that's going to be the price that we're going to pay. And if we can't get him for that, then to hell with you. We're not going to pay you $50 million for a lad who's not worth 50 million, or not dollars, but pounds or euros or whatever. Uh, we're <coughs> just not going to do it. We're going to draw a line in the sand that says we're not going to be a club that, that, that just continuously throws bad money after bad. Where do you come down on that, and how do you see this this particular summer's transfer business as it pertains to that? Well, on the one hand, we've already spent over a hundred million pounds, so um, I don't know what we're talking here—hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty million dollars. But um, 
but yeah, it is it is true. That we're we're no longer going to be taken for a ride. Um, and uh, it, I mean, it, I mean, last last season we we had to pay out what forty four million for Sterling, um, but then that comes with the the uh, the English premium. You know, so had he been Belgian or Czech or something, he probably would have cost about twenty-five to thirty million. You know. Um, well, what do you think? Because De Bruyne came in at about that same price, and now I wonder if that's not why Schalke are looking at Sané and saying, "You guys are crazy coming at us with thirty-five when you paid damn near fifty for De Bruyne. Our boy is worth every bit the penny that guy's worth." I mean, yeah, well, I'm just I mean, trying to put my head in, in in Schalke's head for a second. Yeah, but you have to you have to remember that the transfer market does not operate in the real world. There is no rhyme or reason why anybody should be worth more than twenty million, for example. It, it just makes no sense. But that's the way the market is, uh, and clubs just pick a number out of the air and slap it on their player's head and say that's what he is and if you do, don't meet it then we're not going to have a conversation and that's the end of that uh, I mean back in the old days um, a few decades ago all they used to do was times your wage by 52 and that's how much the player cost you know and it was simpler times back then so if I know somebody earned 50 bucks a week then you know they're two and a half grand that's it you know, um, but uh, it's just spiraled and spiraled out of control. Um, but City do seem to be um, a little more, a little more tempered these days. We're not going to, you know, pay this. We're not going to pay that. These are our terms. Or you know, just because we've got plenty of money doesn't mean that you can have whatever you want. Um, but then, of course, we've got the pulling power of Pep Guardiola now. So if a player says they're interested and I want to play with him or for him. Um, you know that can kind of swing it, you know, our way a bit more so. So I guess I'm just curious as to how much that's actually worth, and I'm not saying that to to to, to diminish what Guardiola hell even means to me. I just, as you say, realist. I'm looking at this thing and saying, well, we can't even get John Stones to 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 just come out and say, hey, Everton. I want to leave. Let me go. Like, he supposedly said it to them, but the pulling power of Guardiola is not causing John Stones to speak up to a level that is going to convince Everton to drop the, the, the asking price. And I think that that, for me, is, is where you would hope, in theory, that the pulling power of Guardiola would be a bonus yet it doesn't seem to be happening D- is there a reason for that or what is it just that this is the first year and as soon as pep has the thing going you're, you're quite convinced that it will it will take off the way that we all dreamt it up well perhaps but you're not going to get every single player saying you know Pep's interested, so I'm interested. Because uh, you've got to remember there are other uh, intervening factors like um, agents being pain in the ass uh, and not budging on their cut or whatever. And then you've got 
I don't know, friends at the club. Or even sometimes it's a simple case of players' families being settled in a particular area and the missus simply doesn't want to move. You know, <laughs> it, it sometimes can be that simple. Um, so it remains to be seen as to whether Stones comes or stays. But uh, yeah, it, it, it is excess, excessive what they're asking for Everton. Really excessive. So, the last... but then again, it's the English premium, you know. Yeah. And there's a sell-on bonus clause um, to, I believe, Wigan Athletic, who are going to get seven and a half percent. So obviously, Everton are going to try and bump up the price. I really do. I really, honestly, the businessman in me loves that sell-on clause. I, I, I think that's a fantastic piece of of legislature by smaller clubs who are able to get something out of the fact that they are inevitably and invariably going to be pillaged for all of their best talent. I really do oh, love yeah. the sell-on fee clause. Ah, well, then in that case, you love this, because I forget the guy's name, but City have already bought somebody um, for a couple of million from uh, Europe and immediately given him back to his club with the condition that if they want him, they can buy him for... Uh, Geronimo Rulli. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they, 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 they to, bought him they and then loaned him back to the club with a buyback, with a bike, with a, with a to-buy clause, but then City can then buy him back from the club that they just bought him from. It's outstandingly the worst piece of transfer business I've ever seen in my life. Well, I don't know. It depends because then they don't have to, if they're interested in the player, but they can keep an eye on him, but they don't really want him in the team at the moment. And they want to see how he progresses with his career. They know that if he's any good, they can get him back really, really cheaply. But if anyone else was to buy him, it would cost them a fortune. And if they decide not to bother, well, then they've only lost two million. I say only, but, you know. When you put it like that, it makes me feel dumb for having said what I just said. (laughs) At the same time, I really do feel like the way that this whole thing was worked up was so incredibly convoluted for what city we're shooting for. Like... I I get that it's one for the future and I and I think that people tend to forget too that the vast majority of transfer business and youth business done by a club and and I can't stress this enough is meant for players who will never put on the shirt for the first team it is a way mm-hmm. to sustain your business you buy players you sell them on at a markup and then you keep the very best of what you have and put a team together people seem to think that oh we bought him he has to play for city no 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 he doesn't he he may make no, he three million no. for City, but he doesn't have to play for them. Well, no, that's where the whole City football group comes in, so the players can be shifted around if need be between City and Melbourne and New York and Yokohama in Japan and so on and so forth. You know that that's the whole basic premise of the whole thing. The last thing I want to get into before we let you go, and I'll let Gray take charge on this one. I promised you that we were going to unleash the real Mike Devlin, and I think that I'm saving the best for last 
to allow you to be the best version of yourself. I want to talk about how City are portrayed in the media. And I bring this up because even just <laughs> the States, like I, I, I look at ESPN FC and I was listening last night uh, to the EFC podcast, ESPN FC podcast and Craig Burley, who on some days I have a ton of respect for as an analyst. Like when I think that Burley has woken up in the morning and decided it's going to be a good day, I really think he has a lot to offer. I thought his coverage in the Euros was great. And now you bring Burley back and you put him in a segment where the, the, the nature of the show is to argue. And I think that all goes away, but that's a product of television. But he said something yesterday that irked the shit out of me. He says this so-called great manager that City have. No, it's not so-called. The guy is great. Now, whether or not, like, for Burley, the fact that Guardiola did not win the Champions League at Bayern was the end-all. That was it. That was, that was the Mendoza line for him. He was not great because if he was, he would have won the Champions League with Bayern. And I don't know how you argue with people like that. I don't know how you even debate with them. Because it's such a stupid line of logic that there's no real way to attack that with any sort of, I don't know, purposeful logic that would lead to a productive conversation. Yeah. See, well, you... You've got several different types. I mean, for start, don't try and understand stupid. You can forget doing that because that's you're going to lose every single time. Um, but on the flip side, you do have a lot of fans, um, and this is true for any club, who will uh, take an affront to anything negative said about them, irrespective or regardless of whether it's true or not. You know, um, it's just the primal nature that I must defend. It's almost like defending your own kids. You know, you can say as much bad shit about your own kids as you feel like because they're yours. But if anybody else does it, you're gonna, there's going to be problems. And it's the same with your club, you know. Uh, but then again, you've got others who will sit back and go, actually, yeah, all right, you've got a point there. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's a tough one. You know, because if you're in the football business, then you've obviously got a club that you support. Um, so fans are always interested as to find out who this journalist's club is or who this presenter's club is or whoever. And as soon as they find out it's one of the, so should we say, the big six, um, so that we can include United so that they don't feel left out, bless them, um, then... Uh, um, they will immediately go on the defensive and say, that's the only reason you're saying it because you're a United fan or you're a Chelsea fan or you're an Arsenal fan or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, to say that in so-called is, is a ridiculous thing to say. Um, simply because that's my only umbrage with it. If you're saying so-called great manager, look, this is a man who's won how many freaking trophies as a player and a coach. Now, albeit he did it with great teams, but you know, the great ones usually do, 
you know, you didn't see Sir Alex Ferguson at the height of his career saying, you know, I could be the best ever having done it at United, but now I need to go to Aston Villa and rebuild then. And yet that's exactly what the media was saying. Pe oh, Pep Guardiola, essentially they're saying he's a bitch for not having gone to a different club and taken on a different challenge. By going uh, well, that's, to City, that's xenophobia. That's what that is. That's xenophobia. It's about the whole sort of um, he's not English, so he doesn't get a free ride kind of thing. You know, it'll be the same with Mourinho when the, the first time he has a strop at United and he starts... I don't know, throwing things at some referee or refusing to talk on camera or whatever, you know, the free ride will be over, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm afraid there's a bit of xenophobia thrown in on that. I have one last question before we let him go to sort of tie this up. So you said that, and it goes, pivots back to 9320. So right. you, ha you said you haven't actually put your story down yet. So, um, since, I'm not even sure I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if it's one of the dull ones, as you put it, what was your story? And we can just sort of tie a bow on this and and, and finish with that. Okay. Well, be, just before I do, if anybody listening wants to tell me their story in as much detail as they wish, and people have gone into hundreds and hundreds of words um, and described what they had for breakfast for example, but um, if anybody wants to, they can find me on Twitter at BlueWolf1894 or they can just send me an email um, BlueWolf1894 at yahoo.com And we'll do one better and we'll say that if you can't remember any of that and want to get at us we will put you in direct contact with Mike if there are any American fans who want to share their story, we will make sure that your story gets to Mike if you can't remember how to write down what he just said. And you don't have to be a City fan. You don't have to be a City fan either. Yes, but your story. My story. Um, well, I watched the 1999 final uh, on TV. I, I didn't actually go to Wembley. Um, so I had visions of that. Um playing through my head while I was watching and I had it on a big projector screen. So we're talking like eight, nine feet across. Um, and, uh, I'd had a few beers and it was just when desolation. You to you, do you mean a 30 pint or 30 pack? Oh, I just, um, I, I lost count by half time. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had more than enough. But then it continued afterwards, obviously. Um, but uh, I was just sat there gobsmacked. Um, my flabber was gasted, so to speak, um, watching this. But the moment Aguero scored, I fell on my knees and I cried like a baby. Which one was, which goal would be my final question? Like, because you're, you're watching that unfold... Uh, obviously, the Aguero goal is a sense of elation, but the the Jeco goal and the way that like he just sort of grabbed that ball and was like, "Let's go!" Like 
sometimes you just see players like reach down, grab the ball, they jog, you know, back to the halfway line, and then they set it down. Like, Jekko was on a mission right then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that in many ways, the urgency of, of, of Jekko kind of spurred into those last final minutes where you see City pressed to win the ball back after it's it's gone out. They win it, then they bring it forward, and then Mario Balotelli is got to be the worst best player in the history of the world. Like, does anybody other than Balotelli have so many seminal moments for a guy that nobody can even name which club he's on right now? Like he's, <laughs> he's got the brace in the Euros. He's got this ungodly pass to Aguero. Uh, this is a guy who I, I don't understand his life. The gods must hate him, but he's got some really great moments and some really crappy ones. But for yes. me, I kind of think that Jekko goal is, is I don't want to say more important. I just, I think it was the impetus. I guess, but I would have to say that my favorite was Abeletta's to begin with, because it was so unexpected, particularly from him. Um, even he couldn't believe it went in, because um, it was a bit of a fluke. But that was probably my favorite, but with the understanding that the Aguero goal just was surreal. Let's put it that way. It didn't seem to happen at the time. Um it was a weird one. I watched it, but it was almost like I was out of body watching it. It was like I was watching me watching the game. Um, so I'd have to say that the first one was my favorite because that got the ball rolling. Or at least so we thought it did. Right. Well, The Jekko, the Jekko okay. one, like I said, with a lot of other fans, I just thought you had to, didn't you? You're just rubbing salt in the wounds now. You couldn't just not score and make us think, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do it. But see, that's what every fan was thinking at the moment, but then that, that's not what actually happened. So it's like fans are sort of taking that in the moment, which understandable, like, because, of course, that that tends to be how my mind thinks, too, when when a team is like right there uh, and they usually fail. The Red Sox have done this so many times, but <laughs> but the cards were on the table that day for City and I. I really feel like Jekko, after he scored, there was a belief on his face that I think everyone else was able to buy into at that moment. Because Perhaps. as a team, in those moments, you have to summon something else. It's not as simple as, oh, guys, we believe we can get this done. As a player... You have to reach back for a little something extra in those moments. And I think that Jekko gave the players sort of the, the, the motivation to dig down and find that bit of extra. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I'm I'd certainly like to think so. Yeah. I'd certainly like to think so. All right, Greg, take us away. Yeah, well, we first we want to thank you for your time, Mike. We really appreciate it. And it, again, if you if you want to repeat that contact information right now, so that people can get in contact with you if they want to share their story with you, feel free. 
Uh, well, it's Blue Wolf 1894, the, the numbers, not the words, but Blue Wolf 1894 at yahoo.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, Blue Wolf 1894. Um, and just please go into as much detail as well to your heart's content. Anything you want, just keep writing it because I'm splitting all these stories up chronologically so that you learn about each individual as the game progresses. You don't get just one person's story and then you find out. Oh, whoa. so you're going to do kind of like a, I hate to call them oral histories, but you're going to piece it together sort of like that, like in the moment. Yeah, because you'll oh, find out what that. You, you find out, I, I don't know, what Steve in Manchester was doing before the match, but you don't actually find out what he was doing in the first half until the game kicks off. You have to find out what everyone else was doing first. Oh, and then you'll that. stumble across Steve again, and then you'll think, oh, hang on again, what happened to Mark in Cuba? Or, you know, Dave in Denver, or whatever, you know? Um, and how I'm wondering how this guy's gotten on with his broken down card, and or this person's lost or doesn't have a you know a stream to watch it, and they're scrambling around some airport in Europe trying to find. It reminds something. me of uh, Irene Nemirovsky. I don't know if you're familiar with with her work. Um, she was sort of a uh, she was an author on the level. Of, of like a, a Tolstoy and she had written a book called Sweet Frances um, but she was a Jewish writer in the 40s and I'm sure you can figure out where this is headed um, mm-hmm. but uh, her book uh, was never finished because the, the, the Nazis found her and, and adding I think even more sadness to this story is that her husband and all these letters are actually in the appendix of this book. Her husband was trying so hard to find her by writing the, the, the German authorities that they then realized, Hey, wait, there's another Jew we don't have. And they used those letters that he was writing to locate his wife to find him. And right. they both exterminated, and, and the work was never finished, and it would have been lost forever had her daughters uh, not found it. But it was a historical fiction in that it sort of takes you along a tale like that, and the writing style for that is so outstanding. It, it jibes with me personally, so mm. I can't wait to read that. that. That sounds fantastic, my man. Well, thank you. There's a lot of work to go yet, but yeah, it's it's going to be one hell of a book. But what's the ETA uh, on it? What are you thinking? Not not to rush you or anything, but um, I don't know. I mean, I was kind of hoping I'd, um, life kind of gets in the way, so um, I've kind of stalled on it or had been stalling on it. But uh, um, it's it's going to be significantly bigger than my first one. Um, primarily because of all the stories um, and I have to do all the background history of that season and all the players and, and you know, I, I call them the cast list and, uh, and how everybody managed to get on the pitch that day, why they were there. Um, so um, I'm kind of hoping it'll, I'll have it finished by the end of the year. Um, well, if and you I've need- got a couple- people to to read it and give you their thoughts before publication uh 
I will personally volunteer Gray in my services <laughs> for, for any and all feedback. Thank you, sir. And right. we will definitely keep everyone who listens to this abreast as things develop there. Again, contact him with your story, seriously. It doesn't matter if you're a City fan or not. It doesn't matter if it's a good story or you think it's the most dull story in the history of the world. You should. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got definitely. And if you're pissed on somebody, definitely get in contact. Absolutely. Yeah, this is it. So anything and everything. I'll pick it. And until then, um, Manchester City, the secret history of a club that has no history. It's available, you know, most online booksellers, I would think. Um, These are very worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, I've read it. It's a very easy read. It's a very good read, and I would highly recommend it. So would Josh, I think. So you should absolutely check that out. Um, Mike, thank you for your time, and we really appreciate it. We look forward to this. You're more than welcome. Stick around for a second. We want to talk to you real quick after we wrap up. But, Gray, why don't you go ahead and take us home, and and, and we'll call it. That's right. So, um, as for us, you can follow us on Twitter at AmericaCitizens, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S. We are on Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. And until next week, we will talk to you then. Uh, This is American Citizens on Blog Talk Radio, and thanks for listening.